How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to episode 11 and the third and final day of our Live from the Expo Floor podcast series. As we kick off our final day at what has been an incredibly successful Expo 2021, in my opinion, we turn to wages in EMS. Without question, this topic elicits many feelings within our industry, and joining me today to discuss this controversial topic is Brian LaCroix. Brian is the co-founder and senior advisor at Cambridge Consulting Group. He is also the former chief of Alina Health EMS in Minneapolis. Brian, thanks for joining me. Glad to be here, Mike. Thanks. Well, Brian, wages and salary in EMS. Can you really think of a more volatile topic? So you introduced it as controversial. Should it be? Yeah, well, that's a great, that's a great point. Should it be? Yeah. But it is. Yeah. And where are we going and how are we going to improve upon this? Well, big question. Yeah, it's a big question. And, and so, you know, there's a lot there, and we have a lot of buckets to go into, but in your opinion, where are we as an industry right now with respect to wages and salaries in EMS? Yeah, so I, I would suggest that we remain largely uh, um, uh, in, in uh, factions. We don't have consistency right. uh, in wages, but we certainly don't even have uh, consistency in our career field. We remain sort of torn. COVID has impacted this to some degree, but we t we are continue to be torn. Are we, you know, public safety, public health, healthcare, or are we all three, like uh, right. some espouse? And uh, COVID indeed has helped us in that regard, helped us, what, by, what I mean by that is a, a bit of a public awareness around the fact that we have a role to play here. But there's also the continued reality that we don't, um, we have a lot of uh, dis disparity within our career field. There remains this underlying but improving tension between fire-based municipal service and non-fire-based service, which, by the way, is about a 50-50 split if you look at the NASEMSO data from 2020. There are 23,000 EMS agencies in the, in the country. A large majority of them are volunteer. So when you talk about wages, how do you value a volunteer? And if you're an economist looking at this picture, you look at a total population of people doing the job, well, uh, let's, let's look at uh, baristas at Starbucks, right? 60% or 40% or whatever number you want to use of them are not volunteer. Right. So there's a wage that is a standard across that whole population of employees. That is not the case in EMS. So it's all sorts of complicating factors in this area, and it's very difficult to to speak to an outsider in a soundbite that makes sense and, and instills uh, a desire to act. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I, I think that what we want, it's almost like peeling back the layers on this, right? Because like you said, it is so convoluted. There are so, it's like having wires tangled everywhere in a drawer. You're trying to get it done. We don't have, we're not clearly defined, right? And, and in many states, it's not even regulated to the point where it's mandatory to have EMS. So how, or like you say, how do you put a price, right, on a, a livable wage, and how do you make that happen when people don't even know that we exist and what we do? 
I, I have joked routinely through my career that most of the public doesn't know the difference between a paramedic and a pair of pliers. But when they need to call 911, uh, that's when the, the awareness uh, heightens, right? It's the truth. Um, but to your point about this uh, disparity, um, we don't have a single job description in EMS. We don't have a single tax status of employer. Some are government, some are private, some are nonprofit. Um, so the answer is sort of it depends. And I look at it as it boils down to a local issue influenced by some global factors. So one of those global factors that um, I think is important to talk about, we don't think about a lot, is about a livable wage. <clears throat> There's a lot of discussion in a political arena these days, even at a federal level, about minimum wage. Minimum wage and livable wage are two different things. By definition, minimum wage is what the government says you have to pay at a minimum. Right. We have federal minimum wage standards, and we have state and sometimes local ones. Um, a livable wage is very different. It is based on the circumstances in the area, the geography where you live. It has to do with how much money do you need to have a comfortable standard of living. And I'm, I could put air quotes around the word comfortable because that depends where you live and your expectations about your life. There are some of us very uh, happy to live a modest life and some that need to live like Bill Gates. Um, I shouldn't, that's probably unfair to Bill Gates. I have no <laughs> idea how he lives. But the rich and famous, right? Yeah. So it is what is your personal expectations and what are your geographic realities around cost of living, how much is it cost to buy a house, buy groceries, all that kind of stuff. So a starting point for me is around livable wage. If I am a paramedic, EMT, police officer, RN, I want to be able to to understand in my community what is a livable wage and why and be able to talk about that. Then if I am in a position I either have to defend my current wage or if I have to um, lobby to have an increased wage, I've got a reasonable objective argument about this. We all want more money to some degree. Um, I should note, and I think most people are well aware of this by now, money is not on the top of the list in terms of job satisfaction and employee engagement or employee experience, which are different things, but it's imp still important to all of us. So understanding what is a livable wage in your area and being able to talk about it is step one in my view. So absolutely, and, and it, it is very, it's interesting to me that we, can t and I, when I say we, I, I mean the industry, continue to do this job with this whole thing underneath us being such a mess. Like, I give a lot of credit, and I think it takes a very special individual with very special DNA and makeup to want to do this continuously and do it knowing that they're probably not making a fair livable wage. What do you think, or why do you think, we continue to do this job in this industry? If you break up the psychological profile of people in helping professions, generally they, we are action-oriented folks, enjoy autonomy, and at our core want to have meaningful work. What other, uh, how, what greater uh, sets of meaningful experiences can one have than to work in a pre-hospital environment or a hospital environment or wherever in a helping profession, helping other human beings? It is in incredibly intrinsically satisfying. So what does that mean? It means that a lot of us are willing to put up with a bunch of stuff in order to have that intrinsic satisfaction. Because we're helpers. And, you know, at this point, <clears throat> I'm thinking 
we need help. We need some support. So how do we start to push the needle on this? And, and you know, listen, we have we experienced this with the nursing industry a long time ago. They were in the same boat. And then they had some advocacy, right? And the nursing unions became very strong and they stood up for what they believed. How do we get there? How can we start to get that type of push and that buy-in and that advocacy? I'm not an economist, but my work has forced me to learn about how economists think, or maybe not economists, but even, excuse me, financial decision makers. In the environment that I worked in as the lead um, executive, I was EMS chief for many years, in a hospital-based nonprofit system. We worked with a bunch of nurses. You can translate that environment to work with nurses and, and physicians. And we're sort of at the bottom of that totem pole pecking order, right? So the point to your question is around how do we elevate our status? And one of the economic realities that influences wages is prevailing market. Um, if an employer, and I'm not saying that this is a malicious uh, act uh, at all, this is just the way the world goes around. If an employer has a market pool of people doing a specific job that are paid at level X, they're typically not going to pay them X plus whatever, unless they have to. So how do they have to? One of the things that's coming on our workforce in this career field is to elevate our own status. Um, there's debate around degrees in paramedicine. Should degrees be mandatory? Should they be um, compensated differently than people without them? You, there's pros and cons to that discussion. I have a point of view, but it's, it's not the point of this discussion around wages. There are ways like degrees, um, certifications, demonstrating value in whatever way you can do that as a uh, provider uh, to the people who, who have the purse strings sure. is really important. And it's an economic principle. It's not an emotional one. Um, Money is, gets emotional for so many of us. Well, aren't I worth as much as a nurse? Of course you are, of course you are. But what are the economic principles driving the people that are gonna make the decisions about your, your hourly rate? They're not looking at it that way. Right. So take that out of your emotion and talk about the objective things that you can speak to to influence those. You know, I, I would argue that right now in the current climate, we're, we're at a bit of a crossroads um, in our industry. And the reason why is the attrition rate is unbelievable. Um, the openings, the job openings in our industry are something like I haven't seen ever. And, and certainly I think that we can probably walk this back to COVID. Um, I think that COVID was our greatest hour to be on stage uh, on a national front. But I also think now you're starting to see the toll that it's taken. So <laughs> before, prior to COVID, we were dealing with a sense that, wow, we're burnt out. We're doing this nonstop and we're not really getting paid well for it. And then despite that, of course, we stood up during COVID and we went nonstop. And now we're coming down on that backside and I, we're just losing people that are saying, you know what, I give up, right? Emotionally, physically, financially, I give up. And so I'm wondering, is this, uh, it, this at this crossroads now, is this the opportunity for us to, for the industry and for folks to step up? Because I don't know how you sustain this unless somebody does. So um, you're absolutely right about those pressures. Um, recently attended a meeting where some data was provided by the National Registry around the number of folks. They've got really strong numbers about people coming into the field and to some degree they got numbers about people leaving. Uh, we talk about in terms that we're going to be facing a crisis. We are in a crisis. Right. And there is multiple data sources to support that. What we now know, 
is that there are more people leaving the profession than entering the profession at unprecedented rates for all of the reasons that you said. I would suggest there's one other really strong factor, and perhaps it depends on the part of the country you come from. But our, our affiliation with law enforcement, if you look at cops uh, are in our country today, under fire like never before, right? I mean, my goodness, um, there are bad actors out there, of course, mm -hmm. but the majority of cops are well-meaning, hardworking people that get splatter on them. And as another uniform public safety slash healthcare profession, we're right next to them, getting that splatter on us. Uh, violence against uh, providers is at an all-time high, we know, by objective evidence. Um, all of the things that you said about staffing. Um, people are leaving the profession to go be plumbers, bus drivers, uh, you name it, and often making as much money or many times more. So how do you, how do you sort of cultivate that intrinsic fire in the, in the belly that says, I really want to be in this to help people? but I need some additional support financially. Um, it's a huge challenge, and, and I'm generally a pretty optimistic person. Uh, this is gonna get worse before it gets better, so I think we just need to prepare for that. As we wrap up on this topic, and, and certainly there are so many aspects to this, in your opinion, and you've been in the game for quite some time, and you know you, you have your consulting business, and you, you know, relay information to folks all the time. What are some of the immediate things that we can do to start to remedy this? Speak with objective data in your back pocket. The best way to get people's attention is to tell a story, right? Paramedic Chiefs of Canada do a great job of a campaign of <clears throat> an ambulance showing up with no one on it. Pretty dramatic, right? It sends the message, gets the point across. But it's backed up with the data around attrition, around, <clears throat> excuse me, around what we were just talking about, that there's more people leaving the profession than entering it. Those can be quantified. So when you talk about people, and again, the other economic factors of wages have to do with supply and demand. We just said our supply is dwindling. So we need folks that are in a position uh, as payers and policymakers to pay attention to that. Um, unions have a role in this. Um, I sat on the side of a management uh, team in negotiations many, many times with an eye toward having a positive relationship with the union. I would hope leaders across this country are doing the same thing. But unions have a key role to play in this, and I would invite them and encourage them to talk about this issue with the data. And there's, it's not easy to get at, but it's powerful when you do. Um, there is an issue around productivity. If I'm an employer, particularly in the EMS industry, there are private employers that only got, they, they, they don't have the ability to levy additional tax uh, uh, to, to increase their revenue. Um, so there's only so much of the pie to go around. So figure out how to do that. If I'm a provider, um, I need to understand that part of my obligation is being productive on the job. And that's, again, an economic reality. Um, the government plays a role here as well. So the education of government decision makers and payers, and what I mean by payers, I'm not talking about insurance companies in this context, I'm talking about the people where your paycheck comes from, whether that be a city council, a hospital, or a private employer. Help educate them uh, about what you do, because many times they may not know, sadly, and why you bring value to the equation. It's not demeaning to have to do that. Other professionals have done that. That's exactly how physicians' assistants, nurses, physical therapists, other 
professionals have elevated their career field by doing exactly that. It's time for us to step up and do the same. Well, that really did sum it up nicely, Brian. Um, you know, I think that we are in a tough spot, and I think that, like you said, we are in crisis now. We're not heading towards that crisis. We are in crisis, and it's really incumbent upon us as an industry to step up and start making our worth known to everyone. So I certainly want to thank you for coming on and sharing your thoughts on this. Um, obviously, you have such great history in this, and to get your opinion is, is great for the listeners. So, Brian LaCroix, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Mike. And I just one last comment, if, if I may. I want to offer my thanks to those listening that are on the front lines. You all deserve a tip of the cap. Without question. And thanks for listening to Episode 11, live from the Expo floor. Stay tuned. We have two more episodes to go before we shut down the house. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Thanks for tuning in. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.